Okay, so it is my joyous task to introduce the theme of this retreat that we'll be doing for the, the next week. And Gil gave this beautiful welcome to everybody from many different backgrounds um, to our retreat. And the theme of the retreat is a sutta that describes a liberating practice that's available to us all. And the Buddha spoke very clearly about how the practices described in this discourse are um, a direct path to liberation. And I'll, I'll read the beginning. Um, and this is a, the Satipatthana Sutta, um, which translated is often translated as the Sutta on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. Um, now, sometimes foundations is a kind of a word, it almost feels like it, like, what does that mean? It's not a word that's very intuitive for a lot of people. So um, some people suggest translating it a little differently as the four domains of mindfulness or simply the four ways of establishing mindfulness um, or the four domains for establishing mindfulness. So what are these four? Well, that's actually kind of, that's actually how the sutta starts. That's, that's this question that the Buddha poses and then he answers it in beautiful detail. So I'm going to just read from that sort of introduction to the sutta. Um, he speaks to bhikkhus, but this can be considered to be all practitioners. So I'll use the word practitioner and that's, that's you, that's us. This is an excerpt from the beginning of the sutta. Practitioners, this is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of pain and grief, for the attainment of the true way, for the realization of Nibbana, namely the four foundations of mindfulness. What are the four? Here, practitioners, a practitioner abides contemplating the body as a body, ardent, fully aware, and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. She abides contemplating feelings as feelings, ardent, fully aware, and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. She abides contemplating mind as mind ardent, fully aware, and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. She abides contemplating dhammas as dhammas, ardent, fully aware, and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. So the four, the four are, as the Buddha said, body, feelings, mind, and dhammas. So two of these are, have, have, names are in categories that are pretty intuitive or um, easy to comprehend. Uh, but a couple of them you know, need a little bit further description or definition. And we'll be going into the detail on these, on the retreat, but I just wanna, um, since I'm introducing it, just give a brief um, description of the categories of feelings that doesn't refer to feelings and as we think of it usually in English as emotions, but rather as the pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant um, experience that, that arises with each experience. So everything that arises in this one of our sense doors, 
the five common sense doors that we're familiar with, and also the sixth sense door of the mind, um, the Buddha saw through his practice arose with, along with, a sense of it being pleasant, unpleasant, or neither of those. And this is what's referred to as feelings. So with mindfulness of feelings, we're being mindful of that aspect of our experience, when the Pali word for that is Vedana. Dhammas is a really interesting one, and is it, um, um, we actually have to set aside to some extent, sometimes Dhammas uh, is translated as truth or teaching, and Gil will go into this a little bit probably when he's talking about the refuges. But in this context, it actually means something different. And it refers to what I like to think of as sort of these patterns of our experience that we can see in our experience and some of the ways in which we, um, that we can see the mechanisms of suffering and the mechanisms of the cessation of suffering. So there's a list of the dhammas that we practice with in, in the fourth foundation. And I'll just list them briefly the hindrances to mindfulness and concentration, the five aggregates, the six sense spaces, the seven factors of enlightenment, and the four noble truths. So the Buddha said this, the practicing with these four foundations um, it is a direct path to liberation. Um, and he also, in this sutta, very importantly, there were 13 times that a, a certain refrain is repeated. And this refrain refers to the way in which the relationship that we have to our, these experiences, these foundations, as we're, as we're um, meditating upon them. So I want to kind of read from this refrain. It points to the fact that in practicing this mindfulness, we're cultivating a perception of impermanence. And that is the way, that is the vehicle to, towards the liberating power of this practice. So as to each of the four foundations, um, the Buddha says, one abides contemplating the nature of arising in the body, feelings, mind, or dhammas, the nature of passing away in each of these four, or the nature of arising and passing away in each of these four. And then he said, or else mindfulness that there is a body, feelings, mind, or dhammas is established in one to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. And one abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. This is how, in regard to the body, feelings, mind, or dhammas, one abides contemplating each. So that statement, not clinging to anything in the world, is interesting because when we truly start to see and uh, practice um, and start to see intuitively the impermanence of these experiences, we realize that we actually can't cling, right? There's a, some effort, but that's, that's, it's not there. We're not clinging to anything in the world because in a way we can't. And this these practices that we'll explore in, in, in great detail are this vehicle to discovering that and to knowing it deeply and intuitively. So this emphasis on, on coming to see deeply within our experience impermanence is something that the Buddha emphasized. Um, repeatedly, and one of the things that he said, and this is from the Dhammapada, translated by Gil Fransdahl, is 
better than 100 years lived without seeing the arising and passing of things is one day lived seeing their arising and passing. So this practice that you all are doing of, of um, creating a different relationship to your experience through cultivating mindfulness for seven days and um, turning towards the truth of the arising and passing of the phenomena that are arising in the body and the mind um, is an extraordinary um, opportunity and better, as the Buddha said, than passing um, without passing a, a hundred years without doing so. So as we um, cultivate these four foundations of mindfulness and um, cultivate this ability to see impermanence and it's not becomes just not not just an intellectual experience this doesn't just kind of give us that wisdom for no for no end um, but in doing so when we start to see that we start to see that we can't really own the experiences and in doing that we also see that you know the importance of our intention in any given moment is, is is that's really all that we can hold on to and so there's a way in which we also cultivate a, a compassion and an understanding a deep understanding of how important it is to act in a non-harming way towards ourselves and others so there's this way in which wisdom and compassion are both generated and cultivated through this practice and we are able to um, practice more deeply and more effectively by really uh, cultivating a continuity of the mindfulness and an intimacy with our experience. So in this retreat, we'll be, um, we'll be doing sitting meditation, but also walking meditation. And we can bring the mindfulness also to all of the in-between times, the working meditation that Gil mentioned earlier this evening. And that continuity allows us to um, more deeply um, build a momentum in the practice. But we do it all with a sense of gentleness and compassion and loving kindness for what, it, what arises in experience. And as practice does, it takes a tremendous amount of courage sometimes because inevitably as we go through our experiences, and I talked about all the foundations, well, there's the mind and sometimes what's coming up is difficult, not so easy to bear. And the practice we have is of opening to that experience and understanding it, the truth of the, the truth of truth of it. Um, and in order to do that, we have to have the um, courage and and support. And so Gil and Andrea will be talking about these are really supports for our practice as we go through the refuges and precepts. Um, so I look forward to our exploration. And one thing to say about the four foundations of mindfulness, I already said a lot of words, you know, I already talked about all of the four foundations in a little kind of a nutshell. But we'll be going into a lot more detail about them. But one of the beautiful things about the four foundations of mindfulness that I discovered from my practice is that each of them is a gateway. It's not as if you need to practice with, with all of them um, purposefully. Um, each of which you can follow what resonates most for you. Take in what we're saying 
um, to the extent that you can about each foundation of mindfulness. But one of the beauties or the, the, the things that we learn about practice and we start to um, cultivate is this ability to discern what's skillful for us at any given moment, what's the skillful means. So it might be that for this retreat, this is a mindfulness of the body retreat for you. Or this is, you, you hear about mindfulness of, of, of Vedana or feelings, and that really seems to you to be something that would be onward leading for you to turn your practice towards at this time. And this will be, um, and that doesn't mean you can take in the rest of the Dhamma and let it flow through you that you're hearing, but you might choose to focus on one or a couple of things. Um, maybe I spent one entire, you know, at least one entire retreat, just mindfulness of the body the whole way through, even though the retreat was on, I think it was an Abhidhamma retreat or something, right? But it was extremely transformative for me to take in what Dhamma was coming in terms of what was being shared and in the sitting and then the walking mindfulness of the body. Um, so I, one of the things I like that Joseph Goldstein says is that in this practice, we're contemplative artists. You know, and our, it's our own experience that we're, is our um, art form, our own conditioning that's leading us to this moment that might, that, that, um, might lead us towards one particular practice or another. And uh, And so, in a way, we also kind of always need to remember that the Dhamma, you know, there's this complicated sutta and it's, it's it's uh, this incredible um, tool that the Buddha has given us with all of these different foundations. But the Dhamma is right here, right? The Dhamma's here in each of you. Um, and so it's not the words of the sutta. Uh, it's not the words coming from here, but it's always coming back to our own experience. Because um, as the sutta itself points to, it's it's understanding our own bodily and mental experience that will actually free us from the um, patterns of suffering that we uh, tend to fall into habitually. Okay, so um, now with that, I'll just turn it over. I think it's Gil next. So am I loud enough with this? <clears throat> Well, uh, thank you, Tara, and now uh, maybe to bridge the teachings on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness to the refuges is that um, one of the great gifts that uh, I received from this Dharma, Dharma practice, over these many, now four decades of doing it, is um, I take refuge in mindfulness. That the process of paying attention carefully and being aware is a very, very powerful uh, support, refuge, place of safety, place of wisdom, and um, and to really have learned that this capacity we have for awareness is uh, makes safety for the world and for ourselves is a great gift. <clears throat> so there are times when I don't understand what's going on, and uh, then I take refuge in mindfulness. It doesn't mean checking out; it means paying attention in a careful way and. There's something begins happening in the in the richness of life when we're paying attention, really here for our experience. 
Classically, uh, the refuges are not mindfulness per se, uh, but uh, it's something a little bit broader. It's the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And uh, we evoke them at the beginning of a retreat because they are the context in which we're doing this uh, practice. Uh, many times when people do practice, um, they, they, the, it's easy enough for the context of practice to be um, me, myself, and mine. That I'm just doing my efforts, I'm the agent, I'm the one who's the victim, I'm suffering, I'm going to try to find my way out, I'm going to try to understand this. And it's, you know, we're kind of like at the center and the little whirlpool that we're stuck in of self. And, uh, but there's much more going on here than our self, uh, what, how we know ourselves, how we think about ourselves, how we, you know, us, us as the agent of our life. Uh, our life, our, our, you know, psychophysical life is much bigger and broader and more richer than what we could ever know uh, about ourselves. And when we identify with the self, uh, we often identify that which can be known about ourselves. That, that makes sense, it's a logical sense to some degree. Uh, but uh, we do that. But there's more. And so, and we can, uh, and so this larger thing that supports us, uh, that we're here for, is in Buddhism is uh, sometimes called the Buddha, Dharma, and the Sangha. And the Buddha, Dharma, and the Sangha have an external and an internal reference point. Externally, it's the, the Buddha who lived, you know, 2,500 years ago. And Dharma is the teachings that the Buddha gave. And the Sangha is the community of, of practitioners, that, um, especially those who have really tasted the fruit of the practice and really know it for themselves. But internally, uh, that which kind of, the external one kind of reflects inside of us or touches inside of us or resonates inside of us, is uh, meant to be, um, the Buddha represents our capacity uh, to, uh, to be awake, our capacity to be free, our capacity to learn how to rest in awareness and find our freedom in that awareness. It's an amazing capacity to do that. And it's amazing that it, we're not using anything more complicated or difficult than the natural human capacity to be aware. We're all doing it all the time. But how do we tap into this awareness so that it really uh, brings us some kind of uh, transformative experience? And so that possibility of using awareness and finding freedom in it for ourselves, we take refuge in that possibility. We take refuge in that knowledge, in that capacity, in that whatever way we can touch into it. The internal dharma is the processes that unfold inside of us, the patterns of life that unfold the con the, by the conditions we set in place. Our hearts and our minds are not uh, fixed entities, but they're things that are constantly evolving, emerging, changing, coming into being. And how they come into being, this inner life of ours, has a lot to do with the conditions we put in place. And if we put in healthy conditions, uh, those create healthy inner states of mind. If we do unhealthy things, we create an unhealthy inner state of inner state. We are the caretakers of the quality of our inner life. And to see the connections between the conditions that we put in place and the effect that has on our inner life is to see the Dhamma, to see the Dharma. This is how it, this is where it works. It's not more complicated than that. And then the Sangha internally is uh, 
how the external practitioners, the people who inspire us, the people who exemplify for us the values, the freedom, the compassion of the Dharma, somehow that we're touched by that, we're inspired by that, we're, it moves us in some way. And that that part of us that can be moved by that, that can be inspired by that, that is a good refuge for you. That you have it inside of you. If you if you see someone and you're like, wow, look at that person. That person's embodiment of compassion, and I'll never be that way. Oh. The fact that you are inspired by that person's compassion, guess what? It's in you. You wouldn't be inspired unless something inside of you recognized it and reckoned. So to take refuge in the Buddha Dharma Sangha is to take refuge in this larger context of what's going on here that, uh, y- that you might not even see your capacity to be free, your capacity to put together the conditions to show up for your life in such a way that you allow your life to move towards freedom and compassion. And you, all kinds of ways in which we're deeply touched in good ways by the people around us to be nourished by that, supported by that, and helped by that. And we talk about this at the beginning of the retreat because as the retreat goes along, if this journey of the retreat is going to be worth anything, it's going to, part of it's going to be difficult. Because if, you know, without being somehow challenged, how are you going to grow and how are you going to work through some, some of the, to some new place? But when the challenges come, uh, and if they feel too much, that's when we evoke, remember that we're supported and guided by the Buddha, Dharma, the Sangha. And they're bigger than us, and there's more going on here than your own efforts. You're being supported, carried by a tremendous wave of goodness that is the Buddha, Dharma, and the Sangha. Welcome to your wave. Mm-hmm. So um, the way we do this at the beginning of retreat is we chant the refuges in the, in the ancient Buddhist language called Pali. And some of you are not going to know this, you know, how we do the chant, and that's fine. Um, and the, um, we do it three times, and the idea is to kind of let it sink in, that we're really calling on or touching into uh, this something that's very trustworthy here that's going to support us for this time that we're here. And, um, and so um, I'll do... Uh, I'll, I'll do a line, and then you can repeat after me. And if you can't pick it up because you don't know it, you never heard it before, um, you can just hum along because you get full credit if you do that. And uh, you don't have to do this, but the custom is to uh, put the hands together and Anjali. And, um, <clears throat> and so then you can, repeat, you can repeat after me. And we usually we start with what's called a salutation to the Buddha kind of evoking the Buddha, remembering the Buddha, paying homage to the Buddha. And, um, and we'll do this uh, one word at a time, and then, uh, and then we'll... Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arato Sama Sambuddhasa. Sama Sambuddhasa. I'll do the full sentence and then you repeat. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Aharato 
Samma Sambuddhasa. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arato Samma Sambuddhasa. Saranangachami Dhammam Saranangachami Sangam Saranangachami Dutiampi Buddham Saranangachami Dutiampi Dhammam Saranangachami Dutiampi Sangam Saranangachami Tatiampi Buddham Saranangachami Tatiampi Dhammam Saranangachami Tatiampi Sangam Saranangachami Thank you. as part of our tradition after we take the refuges. We come together to recite the precepts. And the precepts, we can say, that are the most basic code of ethics. This code of ethics that together as a community we're going to hold and it's a beautiful way of protecting each other. With a session we go into silence and each one of us is going to play a role in protecting this container. So by embodying these precepts, we give each other that gift of safety. If we think of the etymology of the word precept, 
realize that it's made up of two Latin words. The prefix was the pre, which is before, and then the other part is a Latin word that is precipere, and that means to warn or instruct. So with the precepts, we are being warned or instructed before. But before what? Before we harm ourselves or others. So for some of us who come from a Judeo-Christian background, it's, um, it's important to realize that these are not sort of commandments of thou shall not, but really more a guide and more like an invitation. We know that, that these um, precepts, if we don't hold them, lead to suffering. And so, therefore, we want to practice in a way that we protect, we follow these guides. So, we have five precepts. Some of you might know them already. And there are many ways uh, to talk about these precepts, but this time we're going to just look at them very briefly as far as how is it that we can put them into practice in the retreat. The first one, for example, is abstaining from killing any sentient being. So it's unlikely that one of us will have the intention to kill somebody else. <laughs> but what about uh, if you're sitting in the hall and you see a spider crawl next to you. So then here we are invited to realize that all sentient beings are afraid of suffering. All sentient beings don't want to die. So here in the retreat we practice protecting any sentient being. So we invite you to, if you see an insect inside the building, you use a cup or something, carry it out. Now, if you happen to be walking out in the woods and you accidentally step on an ant, well, that's different. There was no volition there to kill, to harm. So the volitional aspect that Tara mentioned is very important. So we just want to be mindful, mindful of all the sentient beings that are with us in this property. The second one is abstaining from taking what is not freely given. So notice that we don't lock doors here. And it's very beautiful that we can feel safe to leave our wallets in our room and we don't worry. So um, very important that we respect each other's property. We might also want to take it a little further and consider not taking more than our share, for example, in the food, or when we shower, taking showers that are a bit too long. So it also, you know, because it also goes into taking care of the environment. 
The third one, <clears throat> abstain from harmful sexual behavior. For retreat, we actually abstain from sexual behavior in general. And this is a way to just learn to be with that very real aspect of our lives, with that energy, get to know it, know that it's there and that we don't have to act on it. And the fourth one is abstain from false speech. We're going to be in silence, so you're going to be pretty safe on that one. But perhaps when you have your interviews, you can really take a look at this one and realize how sometimes we like to exaggerate a little bit that we did, we sat a little bit longer or that our experience was a little bit more exciting than it actually was. So be, be, be mindful of that. And the last one is abstaining from intoxicating substances. So here what it's meant is any kind of recreational drugs. Uh, if you need to take a medication, please continue taking your medication. A retreat is not a time to explore stopping unless you agreed with your doctor up beforehand. But we certainly are not going to indulge in recreational drugs. So let's just um, repeat these five precepts as a way to seal the, this container. And I will say half of the precept, we say it together, and then I'll say the second half. And we repeat it together. And notice the first part of the, the way we phrase it. It's a very beautiful way of reminding us that we're doing this for the sake of our practice together. So, for the sake of our practice together, for the sake of our practice together, I vow to abstain from killing sentient beings. I vow to abstain from killing sentient beings. For the sake of our practice together, I vow to abstain from taking what is not freely given. I vow to For the sake of our practice together, I vow to abstain from any sexual behavior. For the sake of our practice together, I vow to abstain from false speech. For the sake of our practice together, I vow to abstain from intoxicating substances. So may we all be able to hold 
these five precepts mindfully. And I welcome you into the silence. It's a beautiful gift that we give each other. Gil, would you like to? So it's um, just about 8.30, and so we recommend that you go to bed early. If you are not tired and want to stay up and sit, you're welcome to continue meditating here into the evening, as you wish. And, um, and in the morning, we'll have the sitting from 6 to 6.40 in the morning. And after that, there's a period called Sangha service, 20-minute period that we all kind of do a little cleaning things around and um, some of you are new to all this, and the managers are wandering around at that time, wandering around at that time, to be available to help find your tools or explain where things are, or whatever you might need. So you can just, if you need to have questions about it tomorrow, you can look for them, and they'll help out. Yes. Could I have the schedule? Okay, great. Yeah, let's get this really clear because we, you know, <laughs> we'll come in here tomorrow and no one's sitting up here and then, then the sitting just goes on forever. <laughs> Which has its own be benefits and challenges. So um, the practice leaders are the people who do the six o'clock sitting in the morning. So who's that? Great. So you okay with sitting up here? And then uh, the next time someone sh needs to sit up here is for the 10.15 sitting in the morning. So who's ringing the bell calling people to that sitting? 10.15? So you're okay sitting up here? And then um, 11.45 sitting? Are you okay sitting up here? Thank you. And then the first sitting in the afternoon at 1.45? And the 315 sitting, uh, right? Are you okay sitting up here? Great. And then the next time it would be 645. Okay, thank you. And 745 sitting. Great. That might change, but we'll start with you doing it. And there might be some... And then um, that's it. The 9 o'clock sitting will be up here, teachers. So, so if you have any questions about that or want to declare more details of something, then Christine will be in the manager's office after this. So, sleep well. You're in a good place, safe place, friendly place, a dharma place, a, the winds of goodness. Travel through this place, around this place, the... They say in Buddhism that the devas and spirits of the land are here to support us and guide us and protect us so that you can sleep really well tonight. May you sleep deeply and soundly. Thank you. <laughs>